Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones, and you are watching. Noah Centineo is here. <laughs> AM to DM. You're you're watching AM to DM. Noah, 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 Noah. Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter. I'm so excited. We're so excited. We listen. Noah Centineo is here. I'm not gonna play like I'm not excited. I'm excited so too. So excited. How many times have you watched All the Boys I Loved Before? Three point seven five times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You... I worked on my math yeah. just so I could. No, I love it. I, I watch it. I put it on just to, you know, mm. cooking dinner, cooking dinner. Cooking, yeah. Ordering dinner is what uh, you meant to say. I, I did not watch it last night, though. You, okay, so what? Uh, I was like, you listen, you're already excited enough. Let's just simmer it down. Breathe. Let's watch Ocean's 8. Ooh, tonight. is that your kind of like comedy? It, I love Ocean's 8. I've, I've watched that like two or three times since the weekends. It's oh. on iTunes now. Okay, really it kind of relaxes you. There are fans apparently lined up outside the building. I've heard that. Uh, I, BuzzFeed staffers, I know y'all are watching on your computers. I've seen y'all kind of walking around the studio. A lot more people morning. on the 16th floor today. All right, we got extra security today. I'll tell you this, what's not relaxed is your shirt and uh, it looks okay. wonderful. Just, just a little, I just threw it together. Oh, you just threw it together? That's not a new <laughs> just, shirt? Just laying around. All right. Anyway, okay, we will get to the joy that is no Centineo very soon. We are so excited. Uh, but first, treason? In this economy? Apparently. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about that anonymous New York Times op-ed. All right, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News media reporter Steven Perlberg. Mixed reviews inside the Times newsroom. It's hard to see how this does anything but add more fuel to Trump's rage against the Times in particular and the media more broadly, which is already at potentially dangerous levels, one reporter told me. All right, Steven joins us now. Steven Perlberg, good morning. Morning, guys. All right, so you spoke to several New York Times staffers about that op-ed yesterday afternoon. What did Dean Baquette, uh, the executive editor of the Times, say? Right, so, um, you know, important for our, for our viewers to know uh, that, that the opinion section, which is what this, where this uh, op-ed was published, is separate from the newsroom. Um, and so, so Dean, uh, you know, didn't oversee the publication of, of the op-ed, but I, you know, was interested for, for his take because it's obviously something that impacts the, the news side of things. And he told me in, in a brief email that he thought it was a compelling piece of journalism. Um, but that is, as you know, as you read my tweet earlier, um, it's, it's already a pretty controversial thing within the Times newsroom. Um, there are people who feel reporters on the news side that, um, you know, that it wasn't, wasn't a great move, but it's obviously generated you know, a ton of conversation. A ton of conversation. But but tell us, you spoke to multiple staffers within the Times newsroom. What did they have to say? I mean, I think that that there were, yeah, I mean, you know, like my tweet said, sort of a, a mixed reception. I think that, um, you know, it's an explosive thing. Uh, one, one Times reporter had tweeted that, you know, it sort of puts the Times in the extraordinary, Times reporters in the extraordinary position where they have to try to out uh, the the identity of a person that their own colleagues uh, know about. So it, it is a strange thing. And I think, you know, uh, people have noted just how unconventional it is uh, to to allow someone to write an unsigned, you know, anonymous op-ed. Uh, giving anonymity to sources in a story is something that the Times does every day for different reasons. Uh, but why someone should be, you know, be writing, a you know, an op-ed and not have to put their name to it is a, is a different question, and the Times argues, you know, in their in their editor's note that um, that this is one of those cases where they felt like they should do it. Okay, here's a tweet from um, award-winning New York Times journalist uh, Jody Cantor. She said, "So basically, Times reporters now must try to unearth the identity of an author that our colleagues in opinion have sworn to protect with anonymity." So, and, and you've mentioned this, Stephen. So I want to ask you. If you were, and I know this is a hypothetical, but if you were a media reporter working at the New York Times today, what would your job be this morning? Like, would you be trying to find this source? I mean, I think surely uh, there are reporters at the Times who are trying to. I would imagine, given the, the nature of it, that most of the reporting on trying to figure out who wrote it is coming out of D.C., I would imagine that editors there are saying, okay, let's, you know, let's find the, the person. And I think that... You know, uh, I'm not sure what the, you know, the, the media reporter might be kind of writing a, I believe the media reporter there sort of wrote the kind of meta story about it. I don't know if he's involved in trying to find the, the source of it. But I think what's important and what people have pointed out on Twitter is that it's unclear where this person works because they called this person a administration official. So could work in an agency, could work in the White House. Um, it's unclear. So I, I think a lot of people have, have suggested, you know, maybe it's some low level person. I, I, I think Maybe that's unlikely uh, that the Times would, would do that. But the point is, that, you know, it's unclear. And, and you know, I, I assume given the Times newsroom and the fact that 
Washington is gossipy, that it'll come out eventually. Um, certainly someone's going to claim it, uh, maybe, you know, for, for their own sort of career advancement at, at some point. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We will see. I did want to talk about, for me, when a story like this takes over the timeline, what I always think about is what is the precedent? So, Pearlberg, you said that it was kind of unlike unlike the Times to publish an op-ed like this. Have they done it before, an anonymous op-ed with stakes this high? I mean, they, they have done uh, unsigned op-eds um, in some cases in the past, like to protect someone's safety. So maybe like using someone's first name. Um this particular, I, I don't, I haven't seen anyone point to an example that's quite uh, uh, as uh, explosive as, as this one. I mean, I think you, a lot of people are asking, you know, does this deserve uh, anonymity or, you know, should someone, if they want to say this, um, you know, it's kind of convenient, right? Like this person gets to uh, say, you know, sort of protect themselves, maybe sees the, the walls clo- closing in on the Trump administration and then, you know, late, later on gets to say like, hey, look, I, I wrote the this op-ed. I did my best. Um, so I, you know, maybe it's a convenient thing. Maybe they feel like this is their duty to to uh, let people know that there are, you know, quote unquote, adults in the room uh, who are trying to to um, keep the president from from his impulses. But it's um it's wild. It's totally wild. Yeah. Deep throat. Meet lodestar. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Perlberg, thank you so much for joining us this morning. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, and let's take it to the timeline. What are your thoughts on the anonymous New York Times op-ed? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. And I have a tweet here from Brianna. She says, I am part of the resistance, said a person not willing to completely give up their privilege to bring Trump down. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it more when we go live from the district. Uh, Also, speaking of D.C., the Kavanaugh hearings continue today. But so far, the standout moment is one that took place between sessions. On Tuesday, Fred Guttenberg, the father of a student who was murdered during the Parkland shooting earlier this year, tweeted, just walked up to Judge Kavanaugh as morning session ended, put out my hand to introduce myself as Jamie Guttenberg's dad. He pulled his hand back, turned his back to me and walked away. I guess he did not want to deal with the reality of gun violence. Before the session ended, or resumed rather, Guttenberg says Brett Kavanaugh turned to look in his direction and gave him a wink. Mm. That's an interesting moment. Fred Guttenberg joins us now from Washington, D.C. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us this morning. Thank you. Okay, so what did you make of Brett Kavanaugh's wink? Uh, It seems pretty notable. And what happened next? Uh, The whole day, candidly, was just a crazy day. Um, And I'm thoroughly amazed at um, my trying to reflect on what happened and, and the insanity that has ensued. But regarding um, what happened after lunch. Um, After the effort to try and just introduce myself to the judge, um, we all left for lunch. Uh, I came back and I went back to the seat that um, I had been at in the morning where I was actually standing all day. I I refused to sit um, when talking about my daughter. Um, I'm standing at the seat, Judge Kavanaugh, places himself at the table that he's been sitting at. The senators are seating themselves. He looked in my direction, um, and I look at him, and he winked. Now, listen, we can make a lot of things of the wink. Um, I think it was at me, maybe it wasn't. Um, You know, we were looking directly at each other. What happened a minute later, though, is to me the more critical part, when three Capitol Hill police officers removed me from the room. Um, And they took me out. Um, The first thing they asked is to see these bracelets that are on my wrist. Um, These are bracelets that I wear every day since my daughter was murdered. They talk about my daughter. Um, They commemorate my daughter. And I guess when I reached my hand out to shake the judge's hand, he must have seen the bracelets. I don't know if the police wanted to know if there was some hidden meaning on the bracelets. There is not. Um, They also asked for my license, which they took and left with for about 20 minutes. Um, During that 20 minutes, the police asked me to step out of the public hallway and back into a back hallway, which um, I had no idea where we were going, but, um, you know, nothing really happened there. We just chatted. Um, And then we stepped back out into the public hallway 
and the police officers, they had their supervisor there waiting to talk to me. He wanted to just confirm that I had no bad intentions, which I don't. I am fighting for public safety, that's who I am. Um, I wanted to just introduce myself. I've kind of made a habit since February of every single person who I can talk to about what happened to my daughter and what I'd like to see happen as a result of introducing myself to them. And I, the introduction is always exactly the same. It is, hi, my name is Fred Guttenberg. I am the father of Jamie Guttenberg who was murdered in Parkland. And I do it that way because I want them to know up front that is my purpose. I don't want them to find out down the road and think I wasn't honest with them. So that's how I introduced myself. That is all that I said to Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, and it led to uh, 20 minutes with the police, but all is good. And it led to 20 minutes with Capitol Hill Police. Uh, I did want to ask you, obviously everybody knows about the handshake. Everybody's seen the footage of him turning his back as you extended your hand. If you yes. were ab able to open a dialogue with Judge Kavanaugh in that moment, what would you have said? I was hoping father to father, um, you know, and I've said this in a few interviews, um, his family was there and he's got a beautiful family and they're, they're proud of him and he is more than proud of his family and he should be. They seem like a great family. He lives in a community where it could happen in his community, what happened to me. I live in Parkland, Florida, one of the safest, nicest communities in the country. I live in the community that people say it never will happen in my community, but it did. And I want him to know that if we don't get a grip on reality and do something, it can happen in his community as well. And I don't want to have to be that father who down the road is visiting another community like his because they didn't do anything. Um, and I wanted him to know that he has a responsibility should he be a Supreme Court justice to open up his mind um, and think in terms of the public safety. He's made it clear he doesn't. Um, that is a concern to me, and as a father, it should be a concern to him. Absolutely. Uh, earlier this week, Levi Strauss tweeted, we are stepping up our support for gun violence prevention in multiple ways. So, Mr. Guttenberg, what does it mean to you to see large corporations taking a stand on this issue? Yeah. Listen, to me, large corporations are the um, undertold story of everything that has happened since Parkland. But they have been leaders. They are stepping up. They are doing the things that our legislators should do, but they're doing it on the retail level to, to build safety into their business model. They are trying to change society and culture, and they will. I only, and, and, and actually, you know, they were the original, um, if you look at what Dick's Sporting Goods did, or even going back to Bank of America, large corporations took some action before any states did, uh, with the exception of Florida, which acted pretty quickly. Um, but they're going to show the way. I'm so thankful for what the businesses are doing, and, and there's more businesses that I know will be stepping up in the near future, um, but I'm very thankful for them. And when you look at what they're doing, and you look at what's happening across the states, part of what concerns me right now about a Judge Kavanaugh is how he feels about it. Um, and if I can just indulge for a minute, the NRA is paying a lot of money to try and get him selected. Um, at the same time that they're doing that, they're filing lawsuits all across the country every time a state legislation, uh, legislator passes common sense gun safety. They file lawsuits in Florida. Um, they are hoping to lose a lot of those local state lawsuits. Their effort, their goal is to get those lawsuits to the Supreme Court. And their goal is to do it when there's a conservative block anchored by Kavanaugh. And their goal is to make things like raising the age to 21 or red flag laws, things that are saving lives right now, unconstitutional. It's not just about you know, some people agree on banning assault weapons, some don't. Um, I, I, it's not something I've made a call for, but this is a bigger public safety issue because it's a lot of the common sense stuff that the NRA wants to do away with. And that's why they're working so hard filing lawsuits right now and to get Kavanaugh selected. All right, Mr. Gutenberg, uh, we are terribly sorry, of course, for your loss, but grateful for your work. Thank you for joining us this morning.
Thank you for having me. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was incredible to hear from him. Yeah. Listen, that's just the beginning, though. We have a great show for you today. Not sure if we mentioned it. Did we mention it? Uh, maybe. Uh, Noah Centineo is here. Uh, but first, we're going live from the district. Got a lot a more Kavanaugh to talk Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Okay, so Tarini, we spoke earlier this morning about the reaction within the New York Times newsroom about that anonymous op-ed. But let's talk about what's going on in the White House as they respond. Uh, who has denied writing it so far, at least publicly? So we were seeing a lot of denials come out pretty quickly this morning. We've seen uh, Vice President Mike Pence's office deny it, saying they wouldn't, their office is above these amateur acts. We've seen uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who is traveling in India right now, deny it. And also DNI Director Dan Coats uh, put out a statement as well. So we've got a lot of people denying it. I want to ask, is the White House going to do what they've done in the past, kind of, oh, fake news and try and move past this? Or are they really trying to pin this, track somebody down, really pin it on someone? I think this is a step above the fake news sort of denial of things because, as we know, the president is very paranoid. He's been paranoid throughout uh, his term, his time in office so far about leaks that we've heard uh, a lot about in the past two years. But this is something that, you know, combined with the Woodward uh, book, the president is at this point uh, feels like he can't trust anyone. So the White House is going to try to figure out who this person was. Uh, Sarah Sanders, in her statement, said yesterday that they want this, quote, coward to resign. Um, and but, but the point here is that it's going to be pretty hard to actually figure out who this person is for two reasons. Uh, two reasons. One, uh, the senior administration official title could apply to many people. And also, um, the fact that someone wrote something that was critical of the president a lot of people have said that this is how actually a lot of people in the administration feel. So it might be hard to nail down the exact person because this is a sentiment shared by so many people. Yeah, I know the Kavanaugh hearing is heating up and we're going to get to Cory Booker and Kamala Harris with Chris Geiner in just a moment. But a couple more questions for you, Torini. How is the broader Trump world in terms of his surrogates, GOP circles, uh, beginning to respond to this? So uh, a lot of former White House officials, people who are close to the administration or work for the campaign, I was texting with them yesterday and uh, they were telling me that their phones are just blowing up. They were, everyone was trying to figure out who this person is. Everyone was playing the guessing game, throwing out names or, you know, giving a, a sense of where in the administration this person would be. And then on Capitol Hill, we've seen a lot of uh, senators already come out and say uh, a similar thing that people in D.C. have been saying which is that this is something that they heard about from, you know, their time in speaking to White House aides. Um, some of them have said, you know, this is something we hear from people two or three times a week. So it's not surprising that someone wrote this in The New York Times. But, you know, the fact that someone took actually took that step and published something is obviously still shocking. Yeah, I think people have heard Very these thoughts so. before. Mm -hmm. But the fact that somebody took the step to publish it in The Times is really surprising. Truly. So I, I did want want to ask, like, think of the person who wrote it. We don't know who it is. But could this just be somebody mm -hmm. angling for a soft landing after they leave the White House, maybe a cushy book deal? I think you're absolutely right. And um, I think that since this op-ed has come out, there's been a lot of speculation about the motives of this person. And I think the book deal, the soft landing angle come, is part of all of this. Uh, because if the person is so dissatisfied in this job and thinks the president is uh, you know, not capable of carrying out his responsibilities, then why doesn't this person resign? Why doesn't this person uh, you know, do other things rather than just writing this op-ed? The other part of it is that given this news cycle that we live in, whoever wrote this has to know that, you know, there is a high chance that he's going to be outed pretty soon. Um, you know, the White House is obviously going to be looking for who this is. Reporters are going to try to figure out who this is. Um, so, there, you know, the likelihood of him remaining anonymous isn't quite as high as one would think. So then again, the motives are being questioned. And if this person is outed, then yes, he could get that soft landing, cushy, you know, uh, cable news job or book deal or something like that. Uh, he or she. 
because we do not know. But Tarini, he or she? Sorry. No, no, no. It's perfect. As always, you are our lodestar. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. <laughs> I'm going to use that title from now on. <laughs> you should, as you deserve. Okay, friends, uh, we've seen your tweets about the hearing. It's getting a little interesting. Just saw this tweet from the Washington Post reporter uh, Aaron Blake. Senator Cory Booker says he will release committee confidential email on Kavanaugh and racial profiling, even though he could be expelled from the Senate for breaking rule. Okay, so this is a whole new element. Joining us right now is BuzzFeed News legal editor Chris Geidner. Chris, good morning. Hello, guys. Yes. Chris, Chris is tweeting. Chris is in it. Chris yeah. is in it. You better be checking that timeline, Chris. Okay, this is Here a we are, show, darling. We're not going to wait until 8 p.m. to catch up on this. So let's talk about it. What is this committee confidential uh, email? Yeah, so, I mean, the Committee Confidential is a, a set of, it's a designation for records that the, the committee has that basically the senators on the committee, their staff are allowed to look at, but they aren't allowed to, to talk about them in public. And the criticism that Democrats have raised today and that, that Senator Booker started last night is that Basically, these are not the sort of documents they claim that are normally deemed committee confidential, that it's normally some particular, some discrete set of documents that are of p particular sensitivity due to, to some specific factor. Um, and what they're saying is that what happened here is that Bill Burke, uh, this outside lawyer for the office of George W. Bush that we've talked about before, who was in charge of reviewing all the documents, um, that, that basically he's been given the authority to decide what's committee confidential and therefore Democrats are limited, and we, we've seen this several times now. We saw this with Senator Leahy. Chris, I, I we saw this with Senator Booker. Yeah, and Chris, I do want to point out, we have a tweet just now. Uh, Senator Hirono is up right now and is announcing that she, too, is going to leak these same documents. So, to your point, it yeah, sounds like... I, I mean, they all are. This is, this is I am Spartacus. I mean, Senators White House and Durbin have also said, like, I, I want to be clear. I, I too, feel the same way about these documents. I mean, it, it, it's, it's like, it was a decision that was made. And it, it I mean, the, the thing that, that I believe it, it was either Durbin or White House uh, said is that like, this was basically a unilateral decision made by the chair, Grassley, that what, there was no committee vote on. And, and they're, they're saying basically they're not bound by it, which is, is sort of wild and we're going to see sort of what the the fallout from that is as we go forward but we're talking about i mean this was a a huge chunk of documents and what democrats were saying was in the past it was a very narrow set of documents that might be deemed committee confidential all right well that is it chris thank you so much there's obviously so much going on right now chris. we really appreciate having your insights into it and it looks like like you said it's the i am spartacus moment totally it's interesting to see how this develops chris thank you so much for joining us this morning all right friends up next noah centineo the power half hour oh yeah baby it's <laughs> gonna happen when peter kavinsky starts uh fire tweets what will that be like is it gonna be special I, is I it think gonna it be, be special, special? Stay tuned. It's not my fault, I swear. Well, friends, uh, it's time for fire tweets. Uh, <laughs> fire. No, you're very tall. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yeah, you ready? ready? Okay, so. all right, let's get to this first okay. one. I'll let you hit it. All right, um, look over there. Here we go. So the first one is from, uh, I can't see the name, but maybe Maximus? Yeah. Okay. Had an interview today and my belly rumbled. The lady goes, Miss Lunch, and I told her, nah, I'm hungry for success. <laughs> What's your thoughts on lunch? You never miss a lunch? Oh, I miss lunch all the time. Really? Yeah. Isaac is like that. What, what are you doing? I don't know, man. It's just thing. <laughs> you gotta eat. You're a growing young man. Cause, cause and effect, the guy who signed the Dreamville has a okay. song where he's like, I thank God for this empty belly. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. So, so you're hungry. He's out here hungry. Out here be hungry. Knowledge, knowledge. Okay, this All right, you got the next one. comes from Drill. 
thinking of inventing a new type of person to get mad at on here on Twitter. Uh, maybe people who carry too many keys around. I don't know yet. All right, like, that's interesting. They're like walking and you can hear them walking yeah. from a mile away. Like jerks, jerks. What's a pet peeve? Oh man, I don't like it when I hold a door open for someone okay. and then they put their arm out like I'm about to slam it in their face. Like, homie, I'm holding the door for you. Chill Let me out. hold the door for you. Calm down. I feel like this is a very New York situation. Yeah, people already, I see a people, problem, I'm solving. So I'm just gonna yeah. make sure, they're being proactive though, so That's I gotta true. appreciate it. That's fair, that's fair. All right, <laughs> All right. I'll let you do this uh, The next one is from the Library Haunter. We love Edgar Allan Poe because he portrays universal human emotions like loss, grief, unrequited love, burying your enemy alive in the cellar, and being scared out of your mind by a bird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very relatable. <laughs> totally, no, yeah. of course we do. I mean, he's talking about the cask of a... Of a, a cask of Mont Montevaldo? Cask of... We can't it's terrifying. They kill this guy. He like locks him into school. like the yeah. underground wine cellar, and brick by brick, yeah. just buries him. And he can see in the last brick gets I, put look in. Look at this. It's terrifying. I love it. High school students, are you watching? Pete Kavinsky does the classics. All right, learn something. Literature. All right, is this me? This is me. Okay, Andrew Cushing. <laughs> you're, you're into the buttons. Okay, I once told my landlord there were large swarms of strange insects getting into my apartment, and he texted back, they live in the trees with no follow-up. Okay. He, was, he was so overwhelmed. Yeah, what is happening? And a lot of people were calling about these damn insects, man. <laughs> and he was like, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> we live in nature. Do you have a crazy landlord story? Oh, no. No? All right, that's Luckily a blessing. Yet. Yeah, yet. okay. Yeah, not yet. All right. Soon, I'm sure. Live right. Live right. <laughs> I used to live in a place called The Proper. It was like, live proper. Oh, so okay. Saying, Sounds like a cult. Was he in a cult? It was a little cultish. Okay, all right. The but proper. It sounds a little weird. Okay, yeah. tweet of the day. Tweet of the day uh, <laughs> is from this guy. He's so weird. Uh, Noah Centineo. There's, there's the noise. <laughs> I like the noise. I love it. Uh, and it says, uh, uh, the blacker the berry. Okay, so Noah. Yeah, that's me. Uh, that was an old tweet. Yeah, yeah, very. What, what inspired you to bestow the blacker the berry upon us in February 2016? Did you know what you were? Absolutely. Well, okay. No, because of the, the line in Kendrick. Kendrick's song. Okay. So Kendrick, and that was on To Pimp a Butterfly, okay. and it's, on, it's the last song on the album, and I listened uh -huh. to that album on repeat for okay. about a month. Uh -huh. um, and he has that line at the very end where he's like, uh, so why did I weep when Trayvon Martin was in the streets when gang banging made me kill a n-word blacker than me? Mm -hmm. Hypocrite. And like the song starts with, I'm the biggest hypocrite of 2015. Mm -hmm. So I just thought like that was such a introspective and reflective moment for him to come out and say something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I love Kendrick and I, I really support everything he, he does and what he's about. And so when I when I heard that, I was like, I literally cried mm -hmm. when I heard that line at the end of the song for the, for the first time. And I was like, the black of the berry. So I put it out. And here we are. I love, have you gotten to meet Kendrick Lamar? Not yet. Kendrick? <laughs> if you're watching, Peter Kavinsky. <laughs> my guy. It, listen, it happens. It happens. All right. My guy. <laughs> I was later there on camera. I love it. I'm impressed that you, you knew the lyrics. Yeah, okay. I loved Yeah, okay. I mean, I, You're going to be Kendrick Lamar. It's going to happen. Hey, Doc. <laughs> Harris. All right. Up next, more Noah Centineo. Uh, this is fire tweets. We did it, guys. Fire! We it. We're going to come home. We're going to sit down on the other couch. Sarah Burgess, you're a loser to all the boys I've loved before. My phone is like vibrating because y'all are tweeting so much. Just keep hitting buttons. <laughs> Just let it out. It's fine. No! <laughs> it works. Man <laughs> yeah. All right, this is The Sit Down. I'm here with Noah Centineo, of course, Peter Kavinsky. Hi, to all the boys I've loved before, Jenny Han says hello. Bye. Oh my God, hi Jenny. Uh, and he also is starring in a new Netflix movie, Sierra Burgess is a Loser. It comes out tomorrow. Can't wait to start binging that. Okay, first question. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. We've all fallen in love with you. We fall in love with Peter Kavinsky. You're so good in the movie. Thank you. But I was interested in there. You know, you're a good imp improviser, right? Mm. It, it, are there things or that Peter Kavinsky says or does in the movie that Noah would never do? Uh, oh yeah, the big the big moment where he's like, "Oh, I see. It's not me." You're at this Bon Iver, whatever, you know, that, that. <laughs> The rage. I love Bon Iver. I uh -huh. would never, like, put a negative connotation on that man's name. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I, I wouldn't do I that to my man Bon. Yeah, I wouldn't do that to my man Bon. 
That's crazy. Okay, so there are uh, girls apparently, and, and I, I hope some queens, y'all better represent, okay, uh, lined up outside the BuzzFeed headquarters. Really? Interesting. I mean, it, this is, you. your life is like blown up so quickly. Mm. Do you have a favorite or most crazy like uh, fan moment so far? Um, I mean, I just think, I think it's crazy. Like I got back to my hotel yesterday and mm. there was like a small army of people waiting outside and that was the first time that had ever happened. Really? Um, and, and I wasn't expecting it and it was just, it was really humbling how much like love these people had and some of them were waiting there since 9 a.m. and I got back at like seven or something. Wow. Uh, and they were like, my feet hurt. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> had I known, I would have come back sooner. <laughs> we could have come back, you know? we could have come back. Yeah. This is why you're not eating lunch. Right. Because you're just trying to rush to be nice to people. <laughs> I just forget to eat. Okay, that's great. That is such a, such a you thing to do. It's I feel so comfortable me. saying that now. It is. It yeah. is very me. I love it. Um, something that a lot of people have talked about is Peter Kabinsky's father. Mm. Uh, we've seen Mark Ruffalo, uh, Benicio del Toro. Um, I I personally this I voted for Oscar Isaac. Okay. That, that was my vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you could cast. Peter Kavinsky's father in, in, the, in the sequel that we pray will happen. Uh, who would you want to play your dad? Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, totally Mark Ruffalo. Why Mark Ruffalo? Because, because well, one, I've been, I've kind of like, since I was 15 years old in acting, I've been compared to him. Like a lot of people say I have the same mannerisms and, and little quirks as he, as he does, and we talk similar. Um, it might be too similar, but I just, I just, I look up to him so much. Like I, I love his films and I love his work and he has such range. I think he would do so well I mean, I know he would do so well. He's done rom-com before, and he's done really like dramatic roles before. I think he's perfect for it. I've got to tell you, I've got some, some primary you know, source here. Mm -hmm. He sat right here on this couch a few months ago, in the literally where you're on sitting, seat right here. and I interviewed him. Um, he was getting ready to do a town hall, and i got to say, I can see it. You do really? have very similar vibes. And he was also very sweet, very nice guy. So, all right, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Get to work. Darling, that wasn't a question. Okay, so you recently revealed that you were single. Yes. So this is, you know, some of these questions are coming from the timeline. You know, the I'm, just the, I'm just the messenger. I'm uh, for it. What is it like being Noah Centineo and like all that entails now and being single? What is dating like? Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, uh, nothing's, like, nothing's changed as far as like, like girls and like, I mean, it's just now people might know who I am previously. Mm -hmm. So you have to vet the intentions. A little bit, a little bit more. Yeah, 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 you know, like, like, oh wow, you're gorgeous, but you never would have been talking to me unless I had like a film out or two. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you have to vet what people's intentions are when they approach you now a little more. Absolutely. Gotta protect myself. Gotta, that's true. Possess my vessel. <laughs> okay. As my mama was. Oh, as your mama was? She's like, possess your vessel. Does I'm your like, mom give you advice all the time? All the time. Yeah? Yeah, I call her. I'm like, mom! <laughs> What does she think about you dating? Um, she, she's like, she's like, wrap it up. Okay. Is what she says. All right. She Amen. That's what she thinks. She's like, wrap it up. And I'm, Listen, like, I'm like, I got you. We stand a pragmatic mama. Please. Um, so we do, we have, I mentioned Jenny Han, the author of To All the Boys I Loved Before. Mm -hmm. um, and love, I, I asked I people if they had questions or thoughts, and we have a little video from her for you. Oh, so no, I think right. it's Is it here? Right up here. Okay. Hi, Noah. It's Jenny. I have a question for you. My question is, are you taking good care of yourself right now? I know you're having a really busy and incredible moment. And I just want to make sure that you're eating right, exercising, reading, meditating, being with friends and loved ones, um, because I think you're so special and I just want you to be well and happy and enjoy your moment. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love I it. Are you taking care of yourself? Yeah, as much as I can. Yeah, for sure. What's what's one thing you're doing in terms of like self care? I bathed yesterday. Amen. I took like a thirty minute bath, and then I got out and I meditated for a little while. Um, I didn't read yesterday, but I didn't. I haven't drank alcohol this whole week. Okay. It's another thing I chose. I was like, I'm not gonna drink this week. I got a lot of work to do. That's great. Um, I went on wanders. I turned my phone off and just like for eight hours went up the PCH and just explored. Went to a carnival with some two really beautiful people. Oh, you are living a much healthier life than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, he's taking baths. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool. I'm trying to work as hard as I can, but still make enough time for myself, you know. So, but the fact that that's what Jenny like had to say is. I mean, it just shows how caring of a person she is. I really yeah. appreciate that. Thank you, Jenny. She's wonderful. Well, and part of the reason you're busy is Sierra Burgess, you're a loser, is coming out. Crazy. Uh, you're a loser, Sierra Burgess. Lord, I've lost the plot out here. Sierra Burgess is 
all over. It is all over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and all over. That's so perfect. Stink to it, you know. I hear the youth their words now and then. What drew you to this? It's really exciting that like people can watch it on Netflix starting tomorrow. Like we're already in love with your role in one movie, and here you are another. What What is exciting about that character? Jamie, man, Jamie's like different than Peter. I personally identify more with Jamie. Okay, you know, he's more. He's he's goofier. Um, he's not as e- egoic. He, uh, he he's a, he, and he's more sensitive. Like he's he's he would he was less abrasive than Peter Kavinsky is. Because Peter um, had some sharp edges. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's got some. He's 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 got some uh, splinters to protect. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. And if if you liked all the boys, you're gonna absolutely love Sarah Burgess as a loser. Yeah. What's it like working with our Queen Barb? From Stranger Things, uh, like everything that you would possibly imagine it to be. It. She's so present when you're with her. She's so giving as an actress, um, and she's so just kind and fun to work with. Like she's, yeah, I couldn't have asked for more. I'm so excited. I'm glad in tomorrow's Fridays I can watch it because I feel like the two it was like you. People fell in love with you in mm. one Netflix movie. People fell in love with her on Stranger Things, mm. and just like let's just put two great people together. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I actually, funny enough, I watched Stranger Things up to the point where she disappeared, and then I just... You were done? And I stopped watching. You had it? Yeah. I was oh, like, dang. I was like, Barb's my girl. Team Barb. You get you get rid of Barb, you get rid of me. Oh, it's all right. All right. So here's the thing. In the movie... <laughs> it's a fantastic show, though. Like, I, I'm not trying to... <laughs> I love it. Like, that's I, how you stand for it, your girl. It, it, well, I stand for my, yeah, I stand for I'm my queen. For it. I but, like, but at the same time, you know, I love the show. It's an incredible <laughs> show. It's done so many amazing things. You're like, don't send a monster after me. Please. 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 Okay, so in the movie, you and our girl LJ have the cute phone wallpaper moment. So... You want to do the little moment? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, because, and listen, my previous wallpaper is you right now. Okay. Uh, but it was Beyonce until now, so you know. Okay. Act right, be grateful. Okay, okay. okay. I don't want nobody to see my face when I, when I do this. <laughs> nobody look at me. <laughs> I love it. And I think we can put it up. Do we have it? Look at that. Oof. Look at that. Just off the top. That's talent, y'all. Duck face. That's Ooh-ha. the it factor. Yes, That's tiger beat talent. All right. Yes, Noah, yes, thank you so much. You're so fun. Thank you for hanging thank out. You. And truly, congratulations on everything you've done thank and you are so going much. to do. To all the boys I've loved before is on Netflix now. Sierra Burgess is a loser. It's out tomorrow. Friday, watch it. Watch tweet it. about watch it. Watch that shit. All right. More AM to DM up next. Can you believe we have more show? This That's is crazy. crazy. Thank you again, man. Thank yeah, you. Of I'm not sure if Entertainment Weekly really broke the internet yesterday, but they definitely made huge waves when they tweeted, the future is female. Here's your exclusive first look at Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, the galaxy's newest and most powerful star. Susanna Polo, comics editor at Polygon.com, is here to tell us everything we need to know about our newest, possibly future favorite, superhero. Good morning, how you doing? Good morning, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for joining us. I love your comics knowledge. I consider myself <laughs> a fan, but you know, I, I don't know the backgrounds like you do. So let's start with the, from the beginning. Who is Carol Danvers and how did she become oh. Captain Marvel? So Carol Danvers was created in the 1970s when Marvel was in this period of like, we need to get more female readers. Um, so she was sort of created as in, in the 1970s sense of it as a feminist superhero. She was an Air Force pilot who was sort of like a supporting character in the Captain Marvel comic. And they decided that they were going to give her superpowers and they were going to make her a new superhero called Ms. Marvel with the MS period, which was, you know, kind of a big deal at the time. Um, and her, in her secret identity, she was going to be the editor of a feminist women's magazine. Um, and she was Ms. Marvel for a very long time. Until about 2012, when the writer Kelly Sue DeConnick um, gave her this relaunch as Captain Marvel. She took the superhero name of the guy that she'd originally been a supporting character for. Um, and that was really sort of a new sort of like turning point for the Captain Marvel name and for Carol as a character, really like putting her in a new and more prominent place in the Marvel Universe. And also like the book was just 
a really big hit, got this really dedicated fan base to it. And um, literally eight months after the first issue of that comic is when Marvel Studios had their first script for a Captain Marvel movie featuring Carol Danvers on an executive's desk. I love it. So they ditch the miss. They make her Captain Marvel. I, I, lo- I did not know that she was the editor of a feminist magazine. That is yeah. absolutely fantastic. What superpowers is Captain Marvel known for having? So she's got the basic suite of, you know, basic superhero powers, which is she's super strong, she can fly, she's super durable, you know, she can hang out in space without a space suit. Um, but on top of all of that, she has this sort of extra thing where she can fire energy blasts, usually from her hands, um, although she, I think she can do a sort of like, you know, concentrated like burst in all directions thing, because she can also absorb energy um, and then redirect it. All right, absorb the energy and redirect it. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring Fun up this. lasers is sort of where it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds very much like a, a Superman character, uh, going to be one of the more powerful characters in the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe. I want to bring up this tweet from Star Wars Girl tweeted, so you got your hopes up for a Captain Marvel trailer, and again, we did not get that trailer. It was just images. Um, but what did we find out from the images that Entertainment Weekly shared? Well, we got our first look at, uh, so we know the movie's set in the 90s, so we've got our first look at a younger version of Nick Fury with both eyes. Um, we've got sort of our first looks at Jude Law as a, a alien character called Marvell, who is the original Captain Marvel. It's sort of unclear whether he's going to be the original in this movie and then Carol takes over, or if Carol just is going to be Captain Marvel from the beginning in it. Um, and we also got our first look at one of sort of the most infamous alien evil alien, evil alien races in the Marvel universe, the Skrulls, um, who are sort of in their, mostly when you see them, they're these green guys with weird chins, kind of like Thanos, but they're not like Thanos. Um, and they are shapeshifters. They can look like anybody. Um, so they're sort of like that. They come back in the Marvel universe and suddenly you find out that somebody who you thought was one person was really a scroll, you know, secret agent. Um, so they have that kind of illicit threat to them. So with the shape-shifting, this could kind of blow the cinematic universe open and maybe who we thought was who might not be those people. Susanna, thank you so much. I also like that you were like evil. You're like, hey, some <laughs> scrolls are good, not all scrolls. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning and walking me through this new character. Very welcome. All right, Twitter, we want to hear from you. Who do you want to see Captain Marvel go up against, either in the Marvel Universe or in real life? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. We've got more AM2DM coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Amber Jamison, a breaking news reporter at BuzzFeed News, and I'm joined today by Eve Ensler, playwright, activist, and creator of the Vagina Monologues, and Congolese activist Christine Shuler-Joshriver, both subjects of new documentary City of Joy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So excited to have you here and talk about this powerful um, movie. So I want to start with you, Christine. You're the director of V-Day Congo and a founder of the City of Joy community, after which the movie uh, is named. Can you explain a little bit about what the City of Joy is and the work that it does? Well, first of all, I'm the co-founder of uh, City of Joy with Eve Ensler and Dr. Donny Mukwege. And City of Joy is a transform transformational place for leadership. Um, It's a place where uh, survivors of uh, gender violence come to be healed. And then we have this uh, program, half of it is uh, therapy. And the rest, uh, you know, when they arrive, we share them in three groups, like the one who were never at school. And then some of them came from colleges. And then, uh, you know, also, we have self-defenses classes for them to know to know their right nutrition nutrition classes and uh, to, for them to know to know their rights health reproduction that's also uh, an important an important uh, class so they are there to be empowered and to be the next leaders in a democratic republic of congo and can you talk a little bit about what are the circumstances that led to the founding of the city of joy well even slur uh, was invited by dr mukwege to come uh, in Congo in 2007 and um, she's the first one who asked 
the, the woman what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And then they told her that they wanted a place where they can be empowered. They didn't ask for assistance, they didn't ask for money, they just wanted to be empowered to take back, to take back their, destinies, uh, their destinies in hands. And that's, that's how the, the, the idea came to, to build City of Joy. And I have to say that was, uh, and it's still the first time that somebody came to Congo and asked the woman what they wanted, mm -hmm. instead of imposing, you know, like a program. And that's it, and it's obviously created this incredibly kind of safe um, community for women there. The film mentions how rape is used as a weapon of war and often used um, when it comes to being able to clear villages to use them for mining, and then those minerals are being used in, you know, items we all use, computers and phones and so forth. I guess I'm wondering, what do you want viewers to take away um, from that when they're seeing the film? Uh, well, I think, first of all, people need to know that there's been a war raging in the Congo for the last 14, 15 years. Mm. Millions have died. Thousands of women have been raped and tortured. And it's gone pretty much under the radar. Mm. Um, we, it's, it's the invisible war. Um, the war is an economic war. Um, it's because of the minerals like coltane and copper and tin, as you said, that go into our iPhones and PlayStations. So all of us are really complicit in this war. We're part of this war. And I think um, it's an economic war. It's a war that is based on years of colonialism, years of racism, and incredible misogyny that have all come together really being fought on the bodies of Congolese women. So I think City of Joy is this, um, it's, it's a rising revolutionary center where women have taken back their lives, where women are being supported by other Congolese women and loved and nurtured and educated and empowered. And I think what people should be aware of is what, where, where is your iPhone coming from? What's mm. going into your iPhone? What's mm. going into your computer? Who is suffering as a result of your computer and your iPhone? And also, how can you support grassroots women leaders mm. and women in Congo who have suffered the worst atrocities because of um, capitalist exploitation? And how can you be part of their turning their lives around where they own their destinies and determine the future and the future of their country and the economic resources of their country? It definitely made me realize when watching the film how ignorant I was on so many of the issues there. So I found it very informative um, in that regard. One of the women featured, um, Jane, uh, has endured just truly horrific experiences and circumstances. I actually had to briefly pause the film when she told her story because it, it was so traumatic. Um, and yet she is one of the most positive um, and you know strong women leaders that are there. I'm just wondering, a strength and resilience skills that can be taught. I'm sorry. Are strength and resilience skills that can be taught? Um, well, we, we think obviously yes. I mean, I think I think there. I think Jane epitomizes City of Joy. Um, Jane has um, suffered some of the worst atrocities I've ever heard on the planet. Her body has been radically damaged. Um, she can't have children. She'll probably never have a, a mate or a husband. Um, but. Her spirit mm. is that of a bodhisattva. You know, she is an enlightened person, and what's coming from her is pure love, pure light, pure joy, because of the radical transformation she's undergone at City of Joy. So our experience with the 1,117 women who have graduated is that I would say 90% of them, if not all of them, have gone through a radical transformation because they have had six months where people love them, nurture them, educate them, lift them, where their sisters bond with them so they are in community and solidarity, where they know they matter, where they know they have value, where they are, um, you know, where they get to release their trauma, where they go through a therapeutic process as a group. And what we see is that women arrive um, looking very damaged, um, very broken, um, and they leave these extraordinary flowers that have blossomed into fully powerful leading women. Mm. And Christine, you yourself had a bit of a transformation in the film. There's a moment where you talk about how the, you know, seeing all the, the death and horror has really hurt and upset you. And I guess I'm interested in knowing how did you get out of that? Well, thanks to the women, mm. because, uh, you know, um, when, when the war started, be, be, before we met this amazing woman, you know, we were, we were like alone. <clears throat> and we wanted to spread the message to tell the world that uh, they, they were just uh, 
killing killing the the, 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 the woman and destroying their their, uh, their their bodies but nobody nobody wanted to listen to listen to us so at a certain point because I wanted to help more and I couldn't so I, I felt guilty you know living in my comfort having a nice house and just just being who I was so I just stopped eating and um, I have to say um, being being with a woman and since I met Eve Ensler and she she literally taught me how I had to take care of myself because uh, as an activist most of the time we forget ourselves by the side of the road and uh, that that's how I survived and also being with the woman and listening to the stories so I know that I'm privileged mm. every morning when I wake up I know how blessed and how privileged I am and I have nothing to complain about about my life or about about something so most of the time when they say thanks to me I'm like thanks to you mm. because without you I wouldn't be I wouldn't be um, alive anymore and also what's really important is also like the family mm. I have uh, like I have an, an amazing an amazing husband and children and they are very very supportive and that's also uh, one of the reason you know you, you, you can go on mm, absolutely well changing track a little bit I wanted to speak with you if the Me Too movement is not unlike um, the vagina monologues and also City of Joy in that it's about women you know telling their stories and being able to kind of claim their stories and their bodies what has it been like for you to watch that movement take shape well I think one of the things I think <coughs> All movements are part of other movements, yeah. right? I don't, I don't see them as new or discontinued. I see it as a continuation of the movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, Fide's been here for 20 years before us. We had Take Back the Night before us. Right. We had women of color who were rising up against with Rosa Parks. I mean, we have a continuum of a movement in this country. That I mean, people think that Me Too happened overnight. Right. In fact, it was built years and years and years of activisms in my lifetime and long before me. So I feel like we're, it's the same story. Story. It's just being renamed and mm -hmm. reshaped and reprogrammed re, re, re for the moment. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I've been privileged uh, having written the vagina monologues and seeing it performed around the world for all these years is to see women being haven't been telling their stories for all these years. Mm -hmm. I think we now have to move from telling our stories to the violence ending. Right. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and for men to really change, for men to come into a new radical consciousness where they do self-interrogation and self-investigation and really be, join us mm -hmm. in this movement because it's actually not our issue. 90% of the violence committed against women is actually committed by men. Right. It's a men's issue. We've been generous enough to kind of take it on because we didn't see anybody doing anything about it. But I think now is the time, and it would be so great to see men grow and into their next phase of evolution, which would be fighting to end this violence and fighting to be in solidarity with women so our lives are safe and free and we don't have to worry in the Congo or on the streets of New York or in the streets of Delhi or wherever it is that we can be um, here in the world present and alive and in safety. And I was thinking that when watching the film, it's so focused on the women and, and obviously the doctors work as well, but it's really sort of showing that the women are taking charge of, of their own healing and, and moving forward. And I'm wondering, just as part of this kind of global movement, and, and you're correct, obviously it's not brand new, but are you hoping that it puts more of a focus on the sexual violence against women in the Congo? Well, I think we, you would agree with me. We've been fighting for the last 12 years right. to get focus on the sexual violence in the Congo. Do you know, it, it's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. um, the world is, well, how would you describe it? Um, it it's, it's indifferent to a large degree. So right. what we're hoping is that this film will wake people up and will get people to see that hundreds and thousands of women have been abused and violated and tortured and raped in the most grotesque ways because of, of economic exploitation. Mm. Absolutely. One of the things I want to ask is the center and the movie are both named City of Joy. Why the focus on the joy? Well, I have to say that City of Joy, first of all, the women are the ones who choose the name. Because at the beginning, as you saw in the film, it yeah. was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, because there was a lot of discussion um, about the name. And then at the end, they told us, you ask us, it's our project. So we, we wanted City of Joy, but really and truly now I know why. Because that's the place, I think that's the only place on earth 
when you laugh the most and there's so much joy and gratitude. Like just waking up in the morning, you are so grateful, you are so joyous. Everything is about joy and love. Uh, I didn't get it before, but now, and you know, it's also the place where you, you can't wait to wake up in the morning, you know, to go to work. It's not even to go to work. It's just to go and, and do what you love the most. And at the end of the day, before dark, it's like, oh my God, it's already time, we have, we have to go home. And even if you see girls from far away, they are already, you know, with a big smile, you know, hugging you. And there's something there, there's an energy. I think it's also all the bad energy they had when they, when they came. Mm -hmm. And I think by the minute, because when they, they just arrive at City of Joy, it's like, oh my God, all the flowers. So there's a new energy. And I feel like by the time they just uh, stand in the garden, it's like new energy is back. And you, you can feel it when you, when you are there. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for all the work that you do. And City of Joy comes out on Netflix September 7th. And there's more AM to DM up next. How are we doing? How are we doing, buddy? How are we doing? Can I, I am Can blessed. I get a temp check? Can I get a temp check? Blessed. Get that pulse. Let's go. Let's go. Oh. This He's life. Alive. He's alive. He's alive. This life, y'all, I am a chosen one. <laughs> okay? Keep your eyes on Saeed Jones because the universe and me, you're clicking. on something. Oh, my God. He was so wonderful. He was so wonderful. And he was so, so forthcoming. Wonderful. He was so. Talking about safe sex. Talking about self-care. <laughs> I absolutely no, I, but I'm. I do want to be serious about it's that. It's true. It's true. It was fantastic uh, conversation. I just this is I. You know when I've, I've seen him in as many different tweets as I could get through during the during my time off. Um, I, I just want to say like he's one of those people. What you saw, that's him. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that is him. That wasn't a performer. He was like that the entire time he was here during the break, right before we went live for Fire Tweets. He was like. The, how do you talk about politics? How do you? <laughs> you know, he's just, he's, he's hyper. He's, yeah. oh, so pure. And, and like really sweet. giving. Like before he left, he came over and was yes. like, shake my hand. I know I'm getting replaced. I get it, guys. <laughs> I understand. I'm taking one for the he team. He was pretty good at, at fire tools. Oh, absolutely. He killed it. Oh um, so listen, you have <gasps> a lot to say about Noah Centineo. Here is a reaction from Tassa. Okay, excuse the fuck out of me, Noah. I'm sorry, Noah Centineo said he relates to Jamie from Sierra Burgess more than Peter Kavanaski because Jamie Kavinsky, Kavinsky sorry, <laughs> is I'm just like flustered. I same. Is more sensitive and less abrasive than Peter. The rise of tender boys is starting, and Noah Centineo is leading the way. <laughs> Dude, hashtag tender boys. And I, yeah, okay, I like that. I like and it. I will say this, and I, I for real though, I mean it's it's great, like he's cute and everything like that, but it is truly exciting uh, to think of like young men mm -hmm. in particular mm -hmm. and young women mm -hmm. seeing and like no, it's attractive to be vulnerable. It's attractive mm -hmm. and great to see. Look at that to see someone like a celebrity that everyone knows is like hot and cool go like, yeah, I haven't been drinking this week. I'm working a lot. I've been taking a bath. I go on long walks. I turn off my like that is cool and i think it is it like in addition to it just being let's thirst about it it's also great it's like something for us to learn mm -hmm. from an expansive view of yes. masculinity which actually ties yes. into the conversation that was just going down right totally. there with eve like absolutely the next kind of evolution of what it means mm -hmm. uh, to be a man and i think noah really kill killed it this is he's on the other end of the spectrum from toxic masculinity mm. and i think it looks pretty great mm. okay so people who are mocking and just like think about bullying and all the shit that young men get when it's like that I think that looks pretty great. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, here's another comment from, we worked up, mm. honey. I know. Worked I up, know. Noah. Okay, uh, this is what Estelle had to say. Oh God, why is Noah such a dreamboat? I can't, why? Why Estelle? I feel like Estelle was speaking for a lot of our audience. It was incredible to was see your guys' reaction in He's real time delight. to it. He's too. Um, that was awesome. Also, really good at taking selfies. He took that so fast. It was really incredible. So You're welcome. I tweeted them out. I do so. like that Saeed kind of used the timeline as a shield. I saw a lot of people calling you out on that move. You're like, I'm just the messenger. A lot of people calling you on your bullshit around that one. Uh, Meg Betts is trying to replace me. And like oh, I said, man. I'm really okay with it. Sorry, Isaac, you had a good run, but this is our life now. The people need it. Absolutely. I agree. I'm sorry. Like you said, he was great at fire tweets. He, he was read really off the prompter like a pro, which yeah. he is. He is a professional, so that makes sense. Uh, and he looks good. He's 
That, that was a Very good handsome. jacket. He was rocking that jacket. What's he real wearing nice. a jacket? Uh, one of the things we were talking about was like he was going to be up here, and we'd see if the audience could notice the difference between me and him. Do you, do you think they noticed that we switched it up? Thank you to all of our guests. Uh, <laughs> Noah Centineo, truly, thank you. Eve Insler, mm. Christine Schuyler, uh, De Schreiber, uh, Stephen Proberg, Fred Guttenberg. Incredible conversation. That was, it was so great this morning. The range. Yeah, truly. Tarini Party, Chris Geidner, Susanna Polo, and Amber Jamison. Thank you all, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, today. thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today. We will be right back here tomorrow, Friday, 10 a.m. You guys are getting through the week. Good luck. <laughs>